Friends, welcome to another episode of Leadosophy, where an open mind is the rule, not the exception. Had some questions from one of my good friends on the heels of the last episode on the on the open mind. And he brought up the idea of the closed mind or the closed-minded individual. Um, kind of what causes that, where does it come from, the effects of the closed mind. We're going to also talk about, I'm going to prime this discussion on the closed mind with an article from Psychology Today, I believe it is. And I plan for this to be about a three-part episode on the closed mind. So here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of leadosophy, Tim Wood. Welcome back, friends, to Leadosophy. As I said in the opening, we're going to discuss the closed mind. And we're going to discuss it using a primer article from Andrea Matthews. She's a licensed professional counselor and a national certified counselor. The tar- tar- title of her article is The Closed Mind. Why does it close and how does it open? So as you all know, I open the show with an open mind is the rule and not the exception. And after reading an email I got from my, from my good buddy KG, you know who you are, he emails me and, and he says, or he asks, which I love, love the fact he's asking questions, inquisitive, sense of wonder about the open mind and the closed mind. KG writes, hey Tim, if an open mind is the rule, where did this closed mind come from? It would be interesting to hear your thoughts about where a closed mind come, comes from. Is it a genetic trait? Is it a learned behavior from parents or life experiences? How prevalent is closed-mindedness in society and why? Do techniques exist to help train yourself to be open-minded in situations? So before I start diving into Ken's questions, which I think I'm going to do in the next episode, because I've already begun kind of writing my thoughts down on the questions that uh, Ken asked me. And I have a lot of thoughts on on the closed mind and kind of how it develops. Uh, I actually created a, a graphic, an infographic titled Eight Power Institutions and Their Influence on the Mind, something like that. I think that's the title. But you have these different power institutions that exist in our lives from the time we are born to the time we die. And these power institutions in general... I don't know what percentage that would be on average, but a lot of these institutions and the people in authority positions in these institutions, whether it's parental figures or religious figures or uh, governments, all levels, education systems, I would say there's a majority of the information that flows top down and far less information that's allowed to flow back up from, from the individual standpoint. So it's a lot of receiving information 
mostly passively, some actively, and then maybe not as much pushback or using the tools of philosophical thought, I like to say, to to push back on ideas, um, information that comes our way. So that'll be it for another episode. But this episode, I want to I wanna prime Ken's email with this article by Andrea. So Andrea, Andrea writes, each of us knows at least one person whom we would say has a closed mind, bias, bigotry, misogyny, xenophobia, and homophobia are all examples of closed-mindedness. When one's mind is made up, there is no changing it. But there are other forms of closed-mindedness. For example, religious fundamentalism, regardless of religion, is also a form of closed-mindedness. Fundamentally, what closed-mindedness does is shuts out the possibility of original thinking. Time out here, leadosophy time out. Is any of our thinking original? Are any of our thoughts original? I would ask the author. I don't know. Maybe. This goes to a philosophical debate between rationalism and empiricism. It's a a time far, it's a debate that has been long in the making over centuries. You know, where do we acquire our knowledge from? Is it through, is all of our knowledge acquired through sense experiences, sensory experiences? Or is there a certain amount of innate knowledge that we are born with that gets activated as we grow, as we develop? But original thinking, it seems like all of our thoughts come from somewhere. All of our thoughts come from somewhere. And that's a question that deserves its own analysis, not for now. And we continue with the author. The closed-minded person is not allowed to question her own beliefs. Such questioning allows a person to center on her own authentic self. So Andrea writes, when you question your own beliefs, that allows you to focus on your authentic self. And the question Leadosophy has is what is the authentic self? What does that mean? I think we all have an authentic self. And I think it requires uh, some deep exploration to unearth what that authentic self is. I think about the different social settings we find ourselves in, whether it's work, it's out in the community, it's a dinner party, it's meeting a new group of people at the coffee shop. Are we always our authentic? Are, are we always our authentic selves when we go into these different places or these different social settings? And I argue a lot of most of us, maybe all of us, kind of wear different masks from time to time, or you know, certain situations we're not allowed to be our authentic selves, or we are very apprehensive of being our authentic authentic self. So I think that's a good point to to elaborate on for another discussion is the authentic self. But Andrea continues, belief is very, very important. And she's talking about questioning our beliefs. You know, the open mind is questioning our beliefs. The closed mind is not being allowed to, to question our beliefs. Belief is very, very important for it is upon belief that we formulate our lives. It is on belief that we build the foundations of our lives. And again, she starts talking about original thought. She writes, original thought is a thought or belief that comes from the center of our essential being. 
I see some carryover between essential being and authentic self. Is there overlap? Are those the same things or are those different ideas? Many, many of our thoughts originate externally. Someone has told us how to think, and so we just think that way without ever questioning the validity of such thoughts or beliefs. Original thinking generates ideas that hold water, not because they are right, so much as because they are real. Original thinking allows us to fly free from the constraints of our own bias, see through it to creative problem-solving beliefs. She continues, On the other hand, it is fear that generally keeps the mind closed. Often the fear is based on the idea that one must be right in order to be okay. It is not safe to be wrong. Therefore, once an idea is grasped, one must hold on to it for fear that to question it might prove one wrong and thus unsafe. So I'm going to stop there, let you ruminate kind of on those first few paragraphs that I talked about. I agree with Andrea. I think fear You know, the mind very much likes pleasure in the avoidance of pain. Fear is pain. The mind also likes order. The mind does not like chaos, generally speaking. I think when we find ourselves in situations of ambiguity, when ideas are not so clear, We tend to find shortcuts. We tend to ignore information that may prolong the thought process, the cognitive process. And we may seek the path of least resistance. For example, stereotypes. I believe stereotypes, and we are all guilty of stereotypes or stereotyping others, judging others without having all the information. Stereotypes is... Stereotypes are one example of having a closed mind or approaching life closed-minded. So, Ken, I want to discuss your questions more in depth at a later episode. You know, especially you've, you ended the you, your response to me with, do techniques exist to help train yourself to be open-minded in situations? I believe you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, I took a course in Gonzaga on cultural intelligence. And, you know, we we may have this this prideful sense of nationalism and and we are very comfortable in our space, our country, our state, our community. The idea of going outside of our country or even our state to other places that are not familiar to us, again creates this incoherence. It creates this feeling that we don't like attention in in the brain, in the mind. So when I say get comfortable being uncomfortable, you almost have to force yourself to get in, in positions of cognitive resistance or cognitive incoherence. You have to force yourself in social situations that are not familiar to you. You have to seek out relationships that may seem odd or may have gone against what your parents told you because they said it's not right. You shouldn't value these people. 
And those are just general examples. But again, Ken, I want to dive into your, your questions more in depth. I want to talk about the power institutions, the eight power institutions that influence our thought. And I want to continue on with this idea of this idea of open-mindedness, not just being a desire to ignore information or listen to information or just reject information out of hand because it doesn't fit your narrative. I think of closed-mindedness also, it's, it's the check valve metaphor, right? It's not just you're not allow, allowing information in, you know, again, think about all the different authority figures that we are around every day that we receive information from. So it's like a check valve. It's like closed mindedness also means to me that we allow information in or it's forced in, but we're not allowed to push back. Right. So, you know, a check valve is there because, you know, it's it's a safety mechanism for a pipe. If if there's backflow, if there's if there's fluid going back out, it damages the system. Well, if the system is your power structures, if information or pushback of flow of information is going back, whether that's critical questioning, again, I use the tools of philosophical thought, right? Questions, critical examination, spirited inquiry. As soon as you start pushing back on systems or power structures, how often are you marginalized or told to stop? Those are just some thoughts that come to mind. But again, another episode, I'm starting to informally answer some of some Ken's questions. But it's important to me and I like talking about this subject because again, I say on the show, open mind is the rule, not the exception. But I think our default cognitive processes are heavily reliant upon closed mindedness for a variety of reasons. And I think we also, there's some theory that needs to be in here, some academic theory that needs to be injected into leadosophy for coming episodes, which I already have a couple uh, scholarly articles that I want to just hit some highlights on to dig deeper into this idea of closed mindedness, stereotyping, um, cognitive biases, all shortcuts of, of the mind that runs counter to the open mind. So I think that's it. I hope you enjoyed this brief episode of Leadosophy. Remember, Leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and in life. I would argue life is just as important as leadership. Maybe they are one and the same. Leadership, followership, and life all kind of flow together. We don't know where one ends and where another begins. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.